in a series uh, that we're really having trouble here that we're, uh, we've called Deliverance in the Darkness. And uh, with only a week left to go, we're about to wrap up Ruth. And uh, if you were here last week or you weren't, basically what we saw was even in the midst of darkness, and it was pretty dark, a lot of, a lot of dying last week, uh, hope is possible when there's real love. And we saw that in the stick with you through anything, stubborn, sacrificial love of Ruth. That even in the midst of really monumental, unparalleled loss in some ways, that, that hope is possible. This week, we're going to take that a little bit further and ask, okay, love can give you hope even when things are dark. But can it give you anything besides hope? Because hope, well, it's something, but, but it's not the real thing, right? You're, what are you hoping for? They're hoping for security. They're hoping for life. They're hoping for joy. They're hoping for food. They're hoping for care and community and family. Will they get it? Will, will love bring them to that? Hope's one thing, but can love deliver the goods as well? Uh, we're going to be in chapters 2 and 3. It's a lot. I'm going to skip around, but uh, it's a pretty exciting story. I think you'll sit with me as you read. So starting in chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him, in whose sight I shall find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to her, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people you didn't know. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And then she said, For I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me, and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not even one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come, sit, come here and eat uh, some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean. Do not rebuke her. So she works till the evening, takes a bunch of food home. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, is uh, surprised and asks, uh, where, where were you? Whose field were you in? And she answers in verse 19, the man's name was Boaz. In verse 20, Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness is not forsaken, the living or the dead. And Naomi also said, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he also said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they finish all my harvest. 
Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So they kept close to the young women. She kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, sit on that seat rest for you that it may be well with you. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down. As if you were thinking, man, this sounds suspicious. <laughs> that means you're paying attention. Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. She came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow countrymen know that you're a worthy woman. And it's true, I am a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. If he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down for the morning. In the morning they both get up really early and go their separate ways, so as not to bring dishonor or shame on either one of them. Naomi returns home, Ruth returns home, Naomi says, how do things go? Tells her how things went, shows her a gift of barley, and uh, and Naomi replies in verse 18, the last verse, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. The man will not rest, but will settle, settle the matter today. A long text, a lot of things. It's exciting. Let me pray real quick. Great Father, we pray that you would help us to see wonderful things in your law, especially your great love. And uh, help us to know it and rest in it and be changed by it. Well, I ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, there's a, a bit of danger involved in familiar stories. And, and this might be a familiar story. So this is an old story, a distant story, and uh, we can think we know it better than we do, and that's the danger. Because we can misunderstand some things and then miss the big point altogether, get caught up in the minor points, and, and miss the main one. So it's possible to read the book of Ruth, if you read it straight through, and come to the conclusion, this is like a Jewish, this is like a simple Jewish Cinderella fairy tale. Um, and there's some real truth in that comparison. There are two people, one princely, one sort of a diamond in the rough, princely character, but literally covered in ashes. So Cinderella, if you didn't know, it means like covered in ashes. Cinder, ashes, Ella, so she was covered in ashes. If you didn't know that. Well, Ruth's not covered in ashes, she's covered in like barley and sweat and dirt. And uh, su they're both suffering under oppression, they're poor, and they're magically bought together, traversing the great distance, not physical distance, but perhaps the greater distance of class and status that keeps them apart, they find true love, and live happily ever after. And that's what happens in this story. You can read like a Cinderella, Jewish, Ruth, you know, Cinderella tale. Um, Here's where the dangerous familiarity comes in. The story of Ruth is also dangerously close to another story. The story of Marilyn Nestor. 
Anyone have Marilyn Nestor for this? No? I didn't think so. So uh, you wouldn't likely have heard of her because she was the Filipino mother of three working in Saudi Arabia for 12 years who suddenly mysteriously disappeared without a trace two years ago. They found her body a year later. No explanation, no inquiry, no legal profession available whatsoever. Because she was vulnerable as a domestic worker in a foreign land with no rights whatsoever, and she just disappeared. And her story is not unique. There are millions of people like Marilyn Nestor working across the world and in our own country who are immigrants and who have no rights in those lands. And, and terrible things happen to them. And that is Ruth's story. That's who she is. Uh, and, and so the problem we're dealing with in this text is twofold, is distance. Hold on. There's, there's a dis distance between this story and us. Um, we're dealing here with a distance of culture and economy and morals and roles and it's, it can make it really easy for us to read this story and misunderstand it. We could dismiss this story as a, well, good, strong man saves pretty damsel in distress. Or, powerful, creepy old man takes advantage of young, vulnerable woman. I mean, you, you could do this thing a bunch of different ways. And, and frankly, it's because of the distance, culturally, but also because of how complicated things are here. How complicated things are here. We live in a culture that dropped a billion dollars in the last three years, on like the Fifty Shades series, and is in the middle of a Me Too movement that needs to have happened. We're pretty complicated over here. It, it's hard. It's hard to understand. And then we can read all that back into a 3,000-year-old text. We've got to deal with the distance. I'm going to try to do so respectfully and help us understand things. But the, the biggest problem in the text is their distance. Their distance there. Naomi and Ruth are on, they're the outsiders. They're, they're on the outside looking in. They, they can see life, they can see food, they can see rest, they can see security, but they don't have access to it. They're living on the razor thin edge of existence. There's no one to care for them. They have no community. And uh, the question of the text really is, are they gonna make it? Where are they gonna find rest? Where are they gonna find life? And what we see in our text is there is a love here that, that closes the distance a love that closes the distance and creates community. I didn't mention this at the beginning, but I should have. I owe this book by Paul Miller some credit. It's called A Loving Life. About the book of Ruth. It's really great. Maybe some summer reading for some of you. So let's talk about the distance real quick, very clearly and explicitly. I want to talk about the distance that exists between this text and us so we can understand it. Let me put it another way. I, I used to go watch a lot of uh, Shakespeare in the summer. St. Louis had great outdoor Shakespeare festivals. And I, I knew whenever I went there and sat down that I would spend the first 30 minutes trying to figure out what in the world they were talking about. Because they were speaking in like, you know, 14th, 15th, 16th century British accents and speaking really quickly and there's cultural differences. And so I would quickly, quickly read the entire play the day before, just so I would be familiar with the characters and the setting and, and the major plot. That's what I'll do right now. I want to give you that intro. The, 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 the plot, the settings, and the characters, so we're all up to speed and we can run through the rest of it really quickly. The setting is pretty clear. Chapter 1, verse 22. They've come back to Bethlehem, which is called the House of Bread. Sounds promising. It's the beginning of the barley harvest. That's also promising. There's work, there's food. It's also springtime. Like, yeah, good. There's, 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 there's some hope here. Springtime, there's food. Um, and, and as we talked about earlier, 
Ruth's pretty awesome. She's a loving person. So there's reason for hope. However, when you consider the characters so far, hopes are dimmed a little bit. Uh, chapter one, we were introduced to six characters. Four of them are gone. Three of them died. Okay, that's a really bad attrition rate. This is like, this is like Infinity War. Everyone's gonna die. <laughs> like they're just dropping like flies. And uh, and you're sort of wondering who's left. And and one of them has a bad attitude. Naomi wants to remain. She's bitter. She calls herself bitter. So we've got like one and a half people left. Um, in chapter two, verse one, we're introduced to a new shiny character, Boaz. He's described as a worthy man. That means uh, a person of significance and wealth and status, and also character. He's a. Uh, it sounds like something out of a Jane Austen novel. Um, it, but in verse four, chapter two, some of you are like, "I've never read. Who's that?" Uh, it's, it's one of these unbelievable characters where you read it and you're like, "No, I literally don't believe someone like this exists. Someone can't be that good." Um, but in verse 4, this guy leaves work, jumps by the field, starts talking, and his first words are like, bless you! And all his workers who are sweating, it's okay, it happens all the time, sweating and working, they're all enthusiastically replying, the Lord bless you too! And, and it just makes you think, like, maybe this dude is, like, amazing, because even his workers love him. Um, we were reminded, though, of the problem of the text in chapter 2, verse 2. We're, we can't get too far from that. That, that Ruth... Goes to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and says, excuse me, could you let me glean in the field, let me go and glean in the field of whoever I happen to find favor? And let me translate that for you, because uh, a lot of things are going on culturally familiar, like in family structure and everything. What she's saying to her rather bitter mother-in-law, who for some reason won't get up and go work herself, is, do I have your permission to go work really hard to pick up leftover scraps in the field of some stranger where I have no right whatsoever to work. That's the translation. That's what she's asking. Okay? That is what she's proposing because they are hungry. This is what they're facing. They live in an agricultural, in an agricultural setting and they have no land and they have no crops. So they don't have wealth and they don't have food. And uh, this is a place where family is important. Families own land. Families provide security. And they have no family. They've lost theirs. This is an economy that's based on agriculture. There are no jobs and there is no grad school. So they're not gonna come home and like just go to grad school or take a gap year. You better go get a job right now because you're gonna starve in a couple days because they have no one to take care of them. So in other words, uh, to describe the situation, they're borderline desperate. They're borderline desperate. And, and then in verse five, adding to the situational understanding of what's going on here, Boaz shows up in this strange young woman working in the field, and he notices, because he knows his workers, and he says, whose young woman is this? Um, and some of you, if you listen to the, the wording of that, especially some of you women, you may be immediately troubled. Because he didn't say, who is this woman? He said, whose young woman is this? You know, so you're getting some knowing, potentially angry nods. And uh, so I need to address this real quick, uh, because it's really important to help us understand what's going on. First of all, we need to start with a simple acknowledgement that we are the most individualistic country ever anywhere. We just are. We are the most individual, individualistic country and group of people that's ever existed. And uh, when we even hear a, a hint of uh, a phraseology like this, we automatically may assume, oh, they're just treating women like property. And that's not what's going on here. Women were not viewed as property in the Old Testament. Despite what one of your teachers may have told you, they're wrong. I'll talk to you about it. Um, 
Instead, they're asking, what's her affiliation? Who's her family? What's her clan? Where she's from? Because they all fit together. It's the same kind of thing we have been asked of a young man. Because you were known through your family. Uh, by the way, uh, we're not completely free of this. All of you do have a last name. It tells me who you're from. And uh, if I was really good in New Pennsylvania history, I might even be able to guess from your last name where you're from. And, uh, and, and actually, it does matter, all those things, because after we ask your name and your major, which is the closest thing to production, because in America we care more about what you do than who you are, you should think about that. Maybe the third or fourth thing we'll ask is where are you from? It still matters to us some. Um, so they want to know, he wants to know where she's from, who's she from, who she belonged to. Yeah, I don't mean belong possession, I mean like belong family. And uh, the answer is really revealing. It's really important. The, the answer from this guy is, she's a young Moabite woman that came back with Naomi. Which is to say, she is a young foreigner. And when Naomi, uh, Ruth describes herself in chapter 2 verse 13, she describes herself as not even one of your servants. You put this together, and it's in the book here, uh, you, could, you could describe every social class in all of ancient Israel at this time. There would have been 14 different groups of people. She would have been number 14. She is the most vulnerable, least protected person in that, in that culture and society. There's no one looking out for her. No rules, no law whatsoever. So here they are. Uh, they're in the land. They have the promise of food, the promise of rest, the hope of it, but they're still so far away with no security and, uh, and trying to figure out how to get food and rest and life and make it work. And it's also interesting in this whole section because we have sort of like a, a glimpse of all the answers uh, to, to their concerns and how, how God will close the distance. And it involves courage and character and, and how God works through what seems to be chance. So we hear already about Boaz's character. We're introduced to him in verse 1. But what we actually see first is Ruth's courage. So let's see Ruth's courage first, okay? So um, we see Ruth's courage, first of all, most clearly in this text, in her initiative, her willingness to go out and work in the field of strangers. Uh, and frankly, possibly in the fields of many strangers. She, she's probably pretty realistic that she might literally have to go in a town that she's never been in before, from field to field to field to field being rejected, until she finally finds someone, her words, in whose eyes she finds favor, mercy. Because she has no right to be there. Someone will literally be merciful and say, okay, you, who I've never met before, you can take my family's food. You can have my family's food. Because that's what they're giving away. And so Ruth uh, takes the initiative courageously to go out and, and work, despite the fact her mother-in-law is not doing so. It's really interesting. We'll talk about her some other day. But I'm pretty sure Naomi's not too old to, to work. Maybe she's still just grieving or in, bitter, in bitterness. But she actually knows some people in this town. She's from here. She could get up and go out and do something. But Naomi uh, is not, Ruth is not bothered about this. She takes the initiative. She moves out in courage, in faith seeking favor and, and seeking to work, despite the fact she's vulnerable. And uh, this is really interesting. And some of you don't want to hear it, by the way. Um, the, the, the vulnerability here is real. And uh, Boaz alludes to it in verse 9. He, he's giving instructions. And he says, sit close to my young, my young woman. And he tells his young men, like, you better lay off of her and, and don't harass her. 
And then uh, later, she, in uh, verses 21 and 22, she goes back to her, her mother-in-law and reports all that happened. And she's like, yeah, and, and you told me to stay close to the young men. That's actually not what he said. He said stay close to my young women. And, and Naomi's reply in verse 22 in chapter 2, you can see it up there, is to stay in the fields with the young women, lest you be assaulted. When I said Ruth is the most vulnerable person in that society, I'm not kidding. There were like, there was nothing to protect her from assault, harassment, sexual abuse. And uh, this is the period of the judges. This is the happy love story book. I can go back, I don't know, six, seven turns of the page to Judges 19, where another very similar vulnerable young woman in Judges 19 is gang raped and then cut up in 12 pieces and mailed throughout Israel. Okay? She had no legal recourse. You don't want to hear this, but it's because it's brutal. I don't want to hear it either, but it's just reality. And this, and her mom-in-law is like, yes, it's real. This could happen to you. Um, I, 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 this is not like the old day angry dad girls be careful lecture. Um, but, but I do think um, it's really easy for us to dismiss the danger she's in, the vulnerability. And sometimes the vulnerability that we have. We had a friend, my wife and I had a friend years ago that was trying to date this person of an, of an unnamed, all of these unnamed uh, ethnic background. And um, we were concerned about the match because we knew the guy. And we were trying to gently persuade her for weeks, like, no, you should not date this guy. And uh, she just wasn't hearing it. And at one point, she said, well, what do you think is going to happen? You think he's going to beat me? And we said, yes. Simultaneously, we said, yes. It's like, you're kidding. We're like, no. No. Because we know that culture. We know the cultural norms. We know the way that men treated women in that culture. And Boaz knows the way that young men in this culture, in this time, treat young women. And he's trying to protect her. And her mother-in-law is generally concerned as well. So I, I say all of this, not as a young, like, finger-wagging old man, like, guys, walk the women home. I don't think about doing that, but it's up to you. But uh, more so to point out how courageous she is because she's doing this all in the face of her vulnerability. Uh, we also see her courage in, in what happens later. Uh, they, they are successful. She has, she has work. She gets to go out to the fields. They, they have some stability. They get to eat. And, and having enjoyed this new status quo in life, Naomi has a new plan in chapter 3, verse 1, a bold proposal. She basically wants to seek rest. That's, uh, that's uh, her proposal for Ruth. In other words, she wants, to, she wants Ruth to have a different kind of life, security, uh, where she doesn't have to go out and work in the fields like a slave. Actually, the position's below that of a slave. Slaves actually have rights. She has none. So she wants to seek rest and security for Ruth. And it's a really daring scheme. I read it. I'm not going to rehearse it all. But the scheme was involved immediate action. Let me summarize it. The scheme is this. Opportune time, right now, like right now on that mountaintop over there, plus tired, happy, potentially drank a little too much man, plus you look about as good as you can. That's the, that's the plan, actually. Um, and uh, the, the proposal, the scheme is, Ruth, go propose to Boaz. Like right now, tonight. Uh, that's a... That's a borderline crazy hair brain scheme. 
Um, we'll see that there's some rationale behind this. Naomi's not crazy. Uh, but she is bold. And, and Ruth is brave. Or dumb. But I'm going to say brave here. Because she does this. She does it immediately. She does it if she's, if she, if she's asked. Uh, some, some will interpret this account, and I will admit that it's possible to interpret this account this way, as, as seductive, sexual, and manipulative. I actually don't see any reason in the text to read it that way. Um, uh, but I will admit that the scheme is sneaky <laughs> and risky. It's sneaky and risky. Um, so let's, let's, let's go through that real quick. Uh, Ruth is going to go propose to a man much older than her. We don't know how old, but it's probably not creepy old, but old enough that he calls her daughter, which is pretty old and creepy. Um, <laughs> and um, she's a foreigner. He's an Israelite. She's a widow. And I mean, there's just so many things different. And, 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 and his protection and their, their provision in that field is her only means of sustenance. There is real risk involved. Also, I read this. this is really interesting. Uh, what he's doing only happens a couple times during the year, like one particular season during the year. And usually you would, would like feed up the barley. And you'd do your work and go home at night. When you'd be up the barley, it's doing a special place, and you just sleep there, lest people come steal it. Now I was reading that often prostitutes would like climb the hills to find the workers because they were easy prey. Really interesting. So uh, it's possible that Boaz, waking up in the middle of the night, would find this one in his feet, and being a man of character, would like, you know, beat her off, assuming she's a prostitute. It's dark. You don't know who this person is. It's also possible, this is all the sneaky parts, uh, the, the risky parts of, of their crazy scheme. Um, it's possible that he might think it's a prostitute, see it's Ruth, and then assume, you know, I thought I knew you better than that. I mean, he could assume the worst about her. He could assume she's trying to manipulate, seduce, use him in his weakness at the moment and, uh, and and just be the end of his positive assessment of her character. The, that would be the end potentially of any future match. Maybe this could risk not just their future together but even her present employment and safety in the field. Um, it is risky and again she's vulnerable and uh, man that's why I love her story because we see her courage here. We see her courage that she's doing all this despite being vulnerable. And it's possible that some of you might look at this account and say, man, this is just another uh, woman needs a man story. But what jumps off the page is not that. It's, it's her courage, it's her character, it's her strength to act boldly. She doesn't, she doesn't manipulate him for sex. She could have. Instead, she uses facts. She, uh, she boldly charges him. She proposes. Uh, really quickly, it's amazing what she does. He asks, who are you? And she answers, uh, Ruth, your servant. She actually gives herself a promotion. Earlier in the text, she said, I'm not even one of your servants. Here, she calls herself a servant. She gives herself a promotion. That's pretty gutsy, actually. Um, and then she says, spread your wings over me. Earlier in the text, uh, Boaz said, may the Lord spread his wings over you. And, and here she's saying, yes, God, to bless me. How about you be the instrument that does that? That is simultaneously a charge to him and a marriage proposal. And anyone that proposes is gutsy. Anyone. I, I, I've just been doing this for years. Anyone that proposes is courageous and gutsy. And here you have a young foreign woman who has no social standing proposing to a much older man of standing. <coughs> it's courageous. And then lastly, she says, because you're a redeemer. 
And uh, we're not gonna get into it this week, but next. But what she's doing is calling him to uphold some ethical obligation. She's sort of challenging him. You know, there's some things you could do for your family, well, my mother-in-law in particular. And uh, she's not afraid to call him to account on that. Overall, what we have here is one very brave woman who refuses to use uh, excuse making or her attractiveness or her seductiveness to, to try to achieve love. Instead, she basically uh, courageously proposes and, uh, and lets him deal with it. So part of the way the distance is closed is Ruth takes two very bold steps. She closes the distance. She takes the initiative. Uh, what we also see in the text is uh, not just her, her courage, but Boaz's character. I'm going to try to do this in like five or six minutes. Um, so we, we saw last week that front and center in this story is God's covenant love. I've used this word a lot this semester because it keeps coming up in the text. It's God's chesed, this very thick, loyal, merciful, gracious, and means all those things. Love. And we saw that last week in Ruth. We see it here in Ruth too, but we especially see it in Boaz. And here's what we see that it looks like in this text. It looks like treating people like family. This is a phrase that Sacred Road uses to describe, this is what we just talked about with, with Gabby's testimony. Sacred Road basically says their mission is to treat people who aren't family like family because they often don't have good family at all. And that we believe that the biblical imperative is that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. That involves treating people like family. And that's what Boaz does. He discovers her identity in early in chapter two and, uh, and then lays out a plan. You stay right here. We'll take care of you. He protects her. He provides for her. Um, and her response in verse 10 is, why? Why have you, why have I found favor in your eyes? Why are you doing this? Because I'm just a foreigner. She is overwhelmed by his mercy because no one has cared for her. No one's cared for her since her husband died. And, uh, and here's someone that cares for her and is treating her like family. So he treats people like family. Secondly, uh, his love creates community. This is out of this book. It's a great chapter. I encourage you to read it. But you see it in this text here. He invites her into community. It's that weird middle school lunchtime thing. Everyone's eating at work, and, and, and Ruth's like way over there eating by herself because she's not presumptuous enough to just join in. She is an outsider. She knows she doesn't belong. She's not, she's not been hired. She doesn't belong. She's eating over there. In verse 14, Boaz invites her in. There's his meal. Gives her his own wine. And then in verses 15 and 16, he invites everyone else in their community, all his workers, in on his plot. Hey, uh, don't harass her. Moreover, make her job easy. As you're gathering stuff, like drop it on the field so she can get more stuff. I mean, he basically is hatching a plot to make her, her work more productive and her life easier. He's involving the community in caring for her. And what we see here is, uh, is him doing this in really beautiful ways. And simple question for you is, when is the last time someone did that for you? When's the last someone, time someone did that for you? If you say never, then let me know, because we need to talk. Because if we haven't done this for you, I need to apologize. Because this is what we want to do. We want to make this possible. But also, when's the last time you did this for someone else? Invite them to lunch. Invite them over. Bring them in. Share a meal. And involve others in the act of blessing them. Altogether, what this love does is it restores comfort. Uh, Ruth says in verse 15, you, you, your words have comforted me. They bring her peace. 
She's been anxious. She's brave. She is courageous. She moves forward. She acts, but she is, she is insecure. I don't mean she's like feeling insecurity. No, she is insecure. There is no security in her life. She's anxious. Anxiety inducing. And he provides comfort for her with his words and actions. Even Naomi, bitter Naomi, who earlier on said, God's hand's been against me, is so encouraged by, by Boaz's care for them that she says in verse 20, like, oh, God's not forsaken us. He's still at work. He has not forgotten us. He's still, he's still kind. And that's important. It's important for us to remember that the way we treat others uh, in care and love reflects God's care. Uh, years ago, we had a student. He graduated now. But uh, his story was that his father died when he was 12. He and his very sick mother raised their younger siblings together. And, and this student was a studied atheist. He comes to the subtle, he's one of my really brighter students. A lot of you are bright. It's not competition. He's a really bright guy. And uh, he'd come to the steady conclusion that there was no God. Uh, but his senior year, some friends of his uh, that he really respected and he really enjoyed uh, began inviting them, him into their home. And he found out that all these kids that he really respected and cared about, they cared about him, they were all the children of a pastor. Um, so uh, he began to enjoy their hospitality, and then he got invited to their church. So he went to their church and, you know, he found it friendly and helpful, but uh, didn't really believe it and, until the day came for his family to move. His family had to move. They couldn't afford to stay where they were. And, and like this family, they didn't have a community to care for them. They didn't have a father. They didn't have any extended family. It was him and some younger siblings and a sick mom, and they had no way to move. And he said, like, without any of them knowing me, like 30 people from this church showed up to help me move. And now I remember saying, this is him saying, I remember sitting there thinking, who in the world are these people? Like, why would they do this? Why would these people who don't even know me do this? And it made him question all his questions. It made him wonder, is there a God behind this? And we need to know that the way we love others, invite them in, and treat them like family, reflects and displays the wonderful love of God. A few more things we need to see about Boaz really quickly. He not only shows God's grace, he recognizes and receives it. When, when, <laughs> when this young foreign lady, in the middle of the night, on this harebrained scheme, uh, exposes his legs so he wakes up cold in the middle of the night, he, he doesn't, he, any number of things could have happened. Uh, and I went through those scenarios. Uh, but what he does is he blesses her. And he receives the grace. He, he says in verse 11, this last kindness, which is that wonderful word, love, he said, is better than the first. He considers, in some really interesting way, he considers her marriage proposal to him, she's a foreign young woman with no resources, no status, nothing. He considers it a mercy to him. And he goes on and says, basically, you could have had anyone. I don't know if it's true or not, but you could have gone after younger guys, richer guys. It, it seems, and he could be right, maybe she was fantastic and everyone knew it and they were willing to throw everything over because she was like home of Troy. They lost their minds over Ruth. Um, more likely than not, uh, that's somewhat true, more likely than not also, Boaz is a catch and he doesn't know it. He's a great man. Middle-aged, you know, maybe written them off, he's a little bit old, but he's a great man. He's a catch and he doesn't know. He's humble and considers her proposal a great mercy. Wait, you're, like, you're you, you, you want me? You're choosing me? He's overwhelmed by it. 
And, uh, and he's not cynical, you just want my money, you just want my status, you just want my field. Um, I don't think he's naive, I think he genuinely loves her. And he's grateful to have the chance uh, to marry this woman. And lastly, the last thing we see about his character is he won't let things lie. Uh, love works. And, and Naomi reflects on this too. There's some work to be done, this thing is not sewed up. There's another potential suitor who could get in the way. Um, but she says, you need to know this man will not rest until he settles the matter. And that's the nature of God's love. It's going to work so that we can find rest. I have one more point in no time. So I'm going to try and do this in two minutes. Hold me to it. In two minutes, you're all allowed to throw up your hands. Ready? Um, the last thing we need to see is God's care. And we see God's care in a couple different ways here. One, uh, his law. We don't see it in this text, but God has law regarding how these kind of people are supposed to be treated. And all of you know that the Bible calls us to love our neighbor, right? Leviticus 19. It immediately goes into how we should love widows and aliens and those without any rights whatsoever. And it's because people like Boaz and others take God's law seriously that they treat her with such care. Secondly, God's also at work through his providence. Uh, the text seems to hint at like this all just sort of falls in place. She just so happened to wander into the field of Boaz. He just so happened to be coming back from Bethlehem. The crazy harrowing scheme just so happened to work. But that chance doesn't happen in the Bible. God's secretly at work behind the scenes in character, people's character, in circumstances, bringing this to fruition. And lastly, we see it in, in, in love incarnate. God's covenant love in the flesh of Boaz and Ruth. Don't throw up your hands, you're almost done. Um, we, we see their love, actually, God's love, in their actions, in their care for others and one another. And it's beautiful. What we have in the end are two really beautiful people that love God and, and reflect God, finding one another. And that's how, the, that's how the distance is closed. It's God's love bringing the distance together, bringing, uh, bringing these people together. Uh, and bringing joy and life and hope. And uh, the question lastly is this. This is not part of the two minutes. This is part of the new one minute. It's this. Um, what does this have to do with you? Because none of you are, are young Moabite uh, widows. Uh, none of you are. I, I just, I don't know a lot about you, but I, I know you're not young, young Moabite widows. Um, a couple things. One, uh, I, I need and want you to think about character a lot more than you do. This text is all about the character of people. Ruth's courageousness and Boaz's character. It's on full display and it's beautiful. And I know, almost, I know what almost all of you want to do. But none of you have told me what you want to be. Who you want to be. And that's a very different thing. One of my favorite one-on-ones in years and years and years was a, a former student who, who labored intensely in, in great anxiety over what he was supposed to do. He changed his na major numerous times. He did the B field. He did research. He quit research. He got a job. He quit a job. Did. He was just tormented. And one day, late, like this time of the year, I walked in, and he was at peace. I could tell he was at peace. And, and I asked, like, what, what's going on? And he said, I finally figured out what I want to be. And I was like, what? He said, I, I want to be, I want to be a pillar of society. I sort of laughs because it's funny. Then he goes on and says, I, I really want to be a husband and a father. He's like, I realize that there are things that I want to be more than I want to do. And those are actually what are going to make me happy. 
the kind of person I'm supposed to become? Is it just what I'm supposed to do? And I want to encourage you to think more about the person you're supposed to be and who you're becoming than just what you do. Um, and where it connects is, there's a huge gap between who you're supposed to be and who you are. A huge distance. It's a really large, sizable distance. That's your distance. And the good news is, God took flesh to close that distance. That Jesus took flesh. He is love in the flesh. Come to close that distance for you. And it's all over the New Testament. And uh, I'll just read one. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the rich love of Jesus for all of you. It's the love that closes the distance, that brings you close, that promises life and security and joy for you. And it's the kind of love that if you believe it and rest in it, will change you. It'll change you and make you the kind of person that, that closes the distance for others. All right, let's pray. Actually, we're not going to sing a song because it's late. I'm sorry, Colin. I'm going to pray for everything, and then you're free to go. Not everything, because we'll be here forever. All the, all the, all the things I need to